Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. If you feel like your allergies are having a comeback tour and you want relief quickly, you can try Astapro. Astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny, and itchy nose and sneezing. And it starts working in just 30 minutes. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount. That's A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Use this directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. Welcome to Switched on Pop. I'm songwriter Charlie Harding. And I'm musicologist Nate Sloan. Nate, today we've each chosen two songs that apparently have nothing in common with each other. <laughs> right. But underneath the surface, if you dig way too deep, as we are wont to do, right. <laughs> they are surprisingly similar. So what two songs have you decided on? My two songs are currently vying near the top of the pop charts. They are Taylor Swift's Look What You Made Me Do. And Cardi B's Bodak Yellow. I don't dance now, I make money moves. And I made some very different choices with <laughs> Clean Bandit and Julia Michaels have released a new track called I Miss You. And I was thinking about comparing it to a great romantic composer, Berlioz. his symphony fantastique which is a completely absurd connection to make but it's gonna work i promise you wow charlie i mean i love that hector berlioz is getting some play on our show it's about time <laughs> been too long yeah in our before show coin toss it was determined that you would go first and that was luck but perhaps kismet too because i am so fired up to share this with you charlie i'm so excited what is it you know, these songs on the face of it seem very different, right? Bodak Yellow yeah. and Look What You Made Me Do. The thing they have in common is that they're both at the top of the pop charts. But these two songs seem like polar opposites in so many ways. And when Bodak Yellow vaulted over Taylor Swift to become the number one song in the nation, I think a lot of people applauded that because they see Cardi B as being more authentic, sincere, and having a more compelling rags-to-riches story than Taylor Swift, who is more associated with certain artificiality and privilege i thought she was gunning in the artistic realm of authenticity taylor swift that's what she's going for authenticity doesn't seem to apply to a music video that literally has all her different manifestations of herself on <laughs> parade as a sort of visual evidence of the multiplicity of identity or something <laughs> fair enough anyway table that charles tag it we'll come back to it sure put it in your rucksack we might need it later 
not only are these two artists sort of opposed, these two songs seem very opposed. Taylor Swift, we have this sort of ornate Baroque pop music modeled after like Michael Jackson's Thriller or something yeah. produced by a now pop titan Jack Antonoff. Yeah. Cardi B tapping into more of a, a raw, more stripped down trap aesthetic. Yeah. These songs would seem to have very little in common. And yet when I was looking at them, I've maybe found one bridge that can get us from one to the other and connect Taylor <laughs> Swift to Cardi B. Okay. Take me there. In order to do so, we have to go to the chorus of each of these songs. Okay. Let's travel to the chorus of Taylor Swift to begin. You mean right said Fred. <laughs> I'm too sexy for my shirt. Yes, the song certainly has a debt to the makers of I'm Too Sexy for My Shirt. Yeah, this is a a very strange choice for a chorus and I think surprises many listeners. I had probably expected something very melodious and hooky, just given Taylor Swift's past of being pretty famous for writing great choruses that you can't forget. There's no melody here. No, you're so right. When I think of Taylor Swift, I think of this brilliant melodist, something we analyzed way back in episode two, Charlie. Do you even remember that? That was so long ago. We were so young then. (laughs) We were like, speak now era Taylor. You know, we were so innocent and doe-eyed. And we loved identifying certain melodic motives that appeared again and again throughout Taylor's oeuvre. We do not get that here. No. It is just in your face. Yep. There's no melody. It's just spoken. Yes. And I think this chorus has been very divisive. When I ask people about it, it's very much a love-hate thing, right? People have strong reactions to this chorus either way. Isn't that the intent? Look what you made me do. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) It is provocative. And honestly, I'm not sure how I feel about it. Some days I wake up and I love it. Other days I wake up and I can't stand it. Yeah. Either way, I feel like there's something undeniably catchy about it. And I wanted to try and figure out what that was. And the answer I've come up with is that it has to do with rhythmic displacement. Okay. I think the whole catchiness of this line lies in a kind of inexact repetition. So let's break down this chorus. Okay. The first line of the chorus is, Ooh, look what you made me do. Ooh, look what you made me do. It wasn't my fault. I didn't do it. <laughs> the- the next line of the chorus repeats that phrase exactly. Yeah. I'll do both of them yep. in a sort of dramatic reading, okay? <laughs> <clears throat> Ooh, look what you made me do. Look what you made me do. Ooh, look what you made me do. Look what you made me do. So those are like exact copies of each other, right? Yes. Same rhythm, same phrasing, same everything. Yes. Then on the next one, we get a variation. Instead of, ooh, look what you made me do, we have, look what you just made me do. Look what you just made me do, look what you just made me Oh, I just did it. Right, and you're right to highlight that word just, because that wasn't there in the first two repetitions, right? We just added that just into the phrase. Hmm. And that's kind of an innocuous word to throw into this chorus, 
but by adding this one additional word, it creates then an additional rhythmic beat so that once we repeat this new phrase, look what you just made me do, look what you just made me do. Look what you made me do. What you just made me do, look what you just made me do. Something happened there. Something significant happened there when we repeated that line. Uh... Adding the just sends one of those words a little further than we originally heard it, so to speak. It kind of pushes everything out of alignment. You see what I mean? But couldn't this just be like a random vocal improv? It's like, I'm just changing it up a little bit. It could be. Who am I to say what happened in the studio to arrive at this chorus? I'm only testifying to how it affects listeners. Oh. I'm not speculating about the intentions behind its composition. I'm offering an interpretation of how we respond to it. But what you're saying is that no matter how it was thought up, it actually fundamentally changes the structure of this chorus? Yes, and here's the crux of it, Charles. In the first line, which is, again, ooh, look what you made me do. Yeah. We have a really strong emphasis on that syllable ooh. First as the word ooh, and then as the word do. Ooh, do. Both of those give ooh a really strong prominence because mm. ooh falls on the downbeat. Mm -hmm. Will you give me uh, uh, two bars of four beats, please, Charles? One, two, three, four. One, Ooh, two, look what three, you made four, me do. One, two, look what three, you made four, me do. One, two, three, four. Thank you very much. Well clapped and spoken. <laughs> Thank you. And you notice that those oohs fall right on the one of each of those phrases. That is the downbeat. Mm -hmm. A beat that we feel very strongly. We're at home. Now, when we add the just, let's see what happens. Charles, can you count me in, please? One. Two, look what three, you just four, made me one, do. Look two, what you three, just made four, me do. One, two, three, four. Your tempo was a little fluctuated a little bit that time. <laughs> we'll work on it. But nevertheless, I think what you see is that something happened when we added that just. The word that fell on the downbeat was no longer the ooh syllable, uh -huh. but the me syllable. Okay. By adding that just, we've displaced the rhythm of the phrase so that no longer does that ooh syllable fall on the downbeat on the one, but instead that me syllable. Okay, but what is this accomplishing? Like, all right, we're moving something one beat over. What does it do for the listener? What it does for the listener is take a phrase that could become boring right. and dull if you just repeated it verbatim, and by adding this word and creating this slight rhythmic displacement where you move the emphasized word over and then come back to it. You notice that when I repeated that phrase the second time, we did come back to the word do on the downbeat, right? Mm -hmm. That creates this sort of little mental game that we get to play, whether we know it or not, every time we hear the chorus. We hear the first phrase. We hear it repeated verbatim. We hear this repetition that has a slight difference that kind of takes us off guard, puts us on our toes for a second. Wait, what's going on? Yeah. And then it comes back around again and lands back in the original position. So this whole chorus is a little musical game of follow the leader. <laughs> All right, I'm hearing you. I made the argument that the song doesn't have a hook, but I guess this is kind of what hooks you in. Maybe a good thing is to think of the alternative which would have been a chorus like this ooh look what you made me do 
Look what you made me do. Look what you made me do. Look what you made me do. <laughs> I just turned the dial. <laughs> right. Somehow that exact repetition doesn't hook us in in the same way. Right. So I sense some skepticism in your voice. This is such a small thing. Is it really worth highlighting as a key musical effect in this chorus? I'm hearing it more. I mean, I think the first time I heard the song, the intentional affect of this, I'm not going to sing... I'm just going to sing talk this rhythm. I was like, oh, okay, whatever. I'm bored of it. But then like the more I heard this song, the more it did get lodged in my brain. I think this like this subtle variation forces me to listen even subconsciously. Whereas when you just sing it that way, I would just tune out. All of a sudden, though, I'm skipping a beat and I'm kind of lost and then I'm brought back in because she does this rhythmic displacement. Yes. Okay. Well said. And... She's not alone in exploiting this sort of mental game involved in repetition with slight variation that results in rhythmic displacement. I wish I had an acronym that could like <laughs> tighten up that, that, that uh, definition a little bit. Because if we turn to Bodak Yellow, yeah. we can see Cardi B using the same technique in her chorus. Oh, okay. I'm really interested in how you're going to show this because... I have to admit, when I first heard this song, maybe I had a, a similar reaction that I had to the Taylor Swift song upon first listening. It's kind of stripped down, like not a whole lot going on harmonically, melodically in the track. Very simple tune. Yes. And like Swift, I think Cardi B creates interest from other musical elements besides melody right. and harmony. Right. Rhythm. I need to let go of that bias. Yeah, go into your rhythm place. Yeah. Because when we look at the chorus of this track, Cardi B's doing something very similar. She says, I don't dance now. I make money moves. Yeah. Say, I don't gotta dance. I make money move. I don't dance now. I make money move. Say, I don't gotta dance. I make money move. And once again, we have a phrase that is repeated almost verbatim, right? Mm -hmm. The first part of that phrase, I don't dance now, when it comes back around, it's just slightly altered so that once again, we throw in another word, an extra word that changes the phrase to say, I don't gotta dance. Mm. So everything is the same, except we just put one more word in, in this case, gotta. And in doing so, Cardi B has done the same thing as Taylor Swift. She's pushed where the word originally fell in the measure over. She's pushed it forward. She's displaced it forward. So in the first uh, line of that couplet, she says, I don't dance now. I don't dance now. I make money move. Right? And the right. emphasis is on dance. That's the, that's the word we feel really strongly. Right. Then when she slots in that word gotta, it pushes dance a little further back. So now the line becomes, say, I don't gotta dance. And now the emphasis is on the word gotta, and dance Ooh. has been displaced a little further back, a little further behind temporally. Oh my gosh, wait, there's so many things that are coming out for me. Okay, okay, say so one at a time. First connection. First is that I'm hearing that she's asserting a form of agency, because this song is really about her moving from being an exotic dancer to making money as she's expressing it in the way that she wants to through music hmm, yeah and by making money move and so at first it's i don't dance and dance is 
on the downbeat it's emphasized the second time around she says i don't gotta dance and she's asserting the gotta her choice on the downbeat whoa right yeah that's so right there's meaning in that yeah i see what you mean because it's like the first time she's like i don't dance now yeah and then the second time she's emphasizing i want to make sure you understand why i don't dance because i don't have to anymore because i have pulled myself up by my bootstraps and like reached a place of security right so the second realization that i'm getting from this track is that there's i guess it's almost like a form of text painting where the money has moved (laughs) right so she says i make money move the first time she sings it it lands on this section and then the second time she sings Mm. it it's displaced and is moved into another part of the rhythm so money has literally i so i so want that to be true but unfortunately in this case i don't think the rhythmic location of money moves moves oh it stays the same yeah it's just the first oh. part of that phrase that changes alas oh they had a great opportunity to really yeah. <laughs> to really get me excited about text painting i know i know nonetheless the part about agency is awesome you know maybe the remix will will take advantage yeah. of that you can send her a, a, a letter a formal letter of... <laughs> well nonetheless it feels like the money's moving just even the way that she says it there's sort of a movement like a flag waving I'm really just trying to back my way into this. Well, what if we return to Taylor Swift for a second? Because based on what you're saying, now I'm thinking about, okay, like what word is now emphasized Mm. in the rhythmic displacement in that Taylor Swift chorus? And the answer is the word me. Oh. (laughs) Right? That's what she says. Ooh, look what you made me do. Look what you made me do. Look what you just made me do. Look what you just made me do. So me gets the emphasis. And so, I don't know. I mean, this seems to be a song that's all about her. It's a little narcissistic it's a little (laughs) i'm on my own here everyone is out to get me but i'm gonna be okay (laughs) yeah 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 even in those little choruses that seem so simple maybe offensively simple to Mm. some Mm -hmm. the small musical touches are what keep us coming back and what send these songs to the top of the pop charts i have so much work to do to let go of my preconditioned musical taste in which on first listen for both of these songs like nah nah it's not a hit mm. and they of course have stuck around on the charts which says well first of all i'm wrong and <laughs> second of all the more that i hear them the more I'm like mm, kind of like head bopping and listening to it and digging it and so these elements which i might pay less attention to are actually doing something really effective in creating a if you will like air quote untraditional hook yeah and boy oh boy does it work Well, I'm really satisfied that I was able to persuade you. And now I have to say, I am just awaiting with bated breath the (laughs) connection that you're going to draw between Clean Bandit and Hector Berlioz, (laughs) the great 19th century composer. But I want to say that just as you entered my analysis with an open mind, so I will for yours. Wonderful. I'll catch you with that on the other side of this break. See you there. Shout out to AstroPro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. If you have allergies, then I've got a familiar scenario for you. You wake up on a beautiful spring morning and peek outside. You get a feel of that nice breeze, but then you start to feel a little tickle in your nostrils. That tickle is the spring air telling you to go be a hermit and avoid the outside because you'll soon be a sniffling, sneezing mess. 
but don't listen to it. Allergies suck, but a good nasal spray makes all the difference. I personally learned that I suffer from adult onset allergies, and it's a real bummer, but a good allergy med makes all the difference for my ability to go out in the springtime to smell magnolias, my favorite flower. If you also want relief quickly to get back to breathing in the spring air, you can try Astapro. Astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. And it starts working in just 30 minutes. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount. That's A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. All right, Nate, I'm going to venture into some really dangerous domain. Okay. I'm really about to get into your domain, into the more musicological world, and in particular, looking at a great masterwork of music that I probably don't have the requisite skills or pedigree to do so. But you know what? This show is all about interpretation and what we hear and i think i have found an absolutely ridiculous connection that i want to share with you i can't wait so i got this recommendation over email from a listener named Stuart, who requested that we cover the new song i miss you by clean bandit featuring julia michaels and i really like this song i'd been listening to it over and over this weekend when i actually found my way to the symphony And I made this totally absurd connection. So what I want to do is brave a comparison between I Miss You and Berlioz's Symphony Fantastique. It might sound ridiculous, but let's just take a listen and see. Do you think there's anything immediately in common? Okay, yeah, let's do it. So let's drop the needle on I Miss You right on the chorus. I miss you. That's fun. (laughs) And for good measure, let's check out the Berliner Philharmoniker playing Berlioz's Symphony Fantastique. We'll, We'll jump into the first movement, a little bit into the song where the main melody comes out. Funderbar. Super similar, right? <laughs> right, yeah. Obviously, the first thing I thought of when I heard Clean Bandit and Julia Michaels was, ah, this reminds me of a 1830 programmatic orchestral piece uh, <laughs> inspired by an opium trip. <laughs> well, by the end of this segment, I think that you'll see that they have a lot in common. So what I want to do is jump into this extended classical masters in which I will make absolutely absurd connections 
And your job is to tell me if I've gone as mad as Burley is. I love it. What a role reversal. This is fun. All right. So background material. Here's what we need to know. Our artists in the first camp, we have Clean Bandit, who are a British electronic music trio that have heavily incorporated symphonic sounds into their electronic hits. In fact, they have a hit mm. called Symphony featuring Zara Larson. Do you know this one? I, I know I'm not familiar. Check out these strings. And when you're gone, I feel So these folks, they like the symphony too. Okay, but you're going to have to do more than that. (laughs) Absolutely, I will. (laughs) (laughs) They've teamed up with the great songwriter Julia Michaels. We, of course, know her as the rising pop songwriter who wrote Justin Bieber's Sorry, amongst dozens of other mega hits. And we recently covered her song Issues on the show just a few weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, this podcast could just as well be called Switched on Julia Michaels. She is extraordinary. She she really is one of the great writers right now. So that's our first camp. The second camp, we have Berlioz, who is one of the great romantic composers. He wrote his Symphony Fantastique at the age of 26 about an overwhelming love that he can't get out of his head. Mm. And what both of these songs have in common is that they're both about a broken and unrequited love. And before you say, all right, everybody writes love songs and heartbreak songs, (laughs) what I want to do in making a connection is demonstrate that they build this idea of love by burying it deep inside the musical content. And that music, specifically a melody, reveals the real meaning of this idea of love Mm, cool okay i see where this is going okay so they're going to use this same technique clean bandit and berlioz are going to take a melodic idea and they're going to transmute it over and over and over and it's going to reveal what's really going on in the music so to establish this idea of transmuting a melody over and over let's start with the berlioz in his piece He has five movements that are basically a journey from love into despair. And he describes the technique that he's using to demonstrate this movement in the program that accompanies the music. Right? He actually handed out a program, as you pointed out earlier, they've actually called this program music, where there's sort of a a narrative thrust, even though there is no lyrical material. So... Let's go backwards into the program notes that he wrote in 1845. Mm. The author imagines that a young musician, afflicted by the sickness of spirit, which a famous writer has called the vagueness of passions, Mm. sees for the first time a woman who unites all the charms of the ideal person his imagination was dreaming of. And by a strange anomaly, this beloved image never presents itself to the artist's mind without being associated with a musical idea The melodic image and its model keep haunting him ceaselessly. It transitions from this state of dreamy melancholy, interrupted by occasional upsurges of aimless joy to delirious passion with its outbursts of fury and jealousy. Well read. 
Charles. Yeah. The name he would sometimes give that melody was the Ide Fix, sort of the obsession. <laughs> right, right. This Ide Fix presents a sort of reverse hero's journey. <laughs> right. And the first time we hear it, it's this passionate and lush melody that introduces the melody of his potential love. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. Now, you teach the song in your course. What happens to the melody? Over the course of the next four movements, this melody appears again and again, but each time it is transformed. And as you said, this is sort of a reverse hero's journey, a descent, if you will. And as we hear the melody transform, it goes from this beautiful kind of noble, inspiring melody to this dark, almost uh, mocking evil twin version of that original beautiful melody. Right. So the first time we hear it, it's in the movement called Passion. And by the time we're even halfway through the symphony, which is almost an hour long, he's galloping in a field and (laughs) the melody comes back to him, but already it's taken on a new sensibility. There's some discord in it. It's not going well. Right. He then goes through a whole opium dream and eventually encounters a bunch of witches which basically curse him to hell. <laughs> and in the final moments of the symphony, the melody is just like all falling apart. It's But it's still there, right? Like the sort of the roots of that initial passion are in there, but are instead enveloped in darkness. Yeah, I mean, this is sometimes described as a sort of burlesque version of the original melody. It's meant to be the end of the bad opium trip and sort of the nadir of our narrator's psychedelic visions. Man, tough love. Well, it's romantic with a capital R, really. <laughs> okay, so I could talk about the symphony forever because it's unbelievably beautiful and I just oh, had yeah, goosebumps yeah. going up and down my spine when I saw it. Anytime you just want to do a whole podcast on Berlioz's <laughs> Symphony Fantastique, say the word. All right, all right. It's possible. Bonus episode. Right. Let's get back to the heart of what our show's about. Pop music. Oh, yeah. Right. Okay. So I think that Clean Bandit and Julia Michaels are doing basically this exact same thing, but I'm going to say that they're doing it in reverse. It's actually maybe a more proper hero's journey. They're going to build up fragments of a melody until we finally hear the full thing. Oh, cool. And what seems like maybe just a nice little hooky edm melody, I think actually has much deeper meaning than we would initially hear. Cool. So let's see how they do this by building up part by part of the song. We're going to jump right in and listen to the intro of I Miss You. What do you hear? I hear this little hummed melody that kind of goes a little arc up and then a little arc down. Very catchy, very welcoming. Yeah. 
And underneath it, we have a rhythmically moving piano, soft, little psalm, right? Mm, yeah, yeah, I do. Of course, piano. I love that piano. Like so many intros these days, it seems like, oh, this is just like a, some introductory material. We're going to get to something else. What we're hearing here is so important. Ooh, okay. They're hinting at the entire thing. Huh. So remember this moment. Let's keep moving. Go into the verse. Now you're on Cabo, hanging with your brother, wishing that I was your bridal, so I could be close to your lips again. I know you didn't call your parents and tell them that we ended, because you know that they'd be offended. Did you not want to tell them it's the end? All right. The song is establishing itself. It's saying, hey, we were in a relationship together. You're now off on a beach vacation with your brother, and you ended this whole thing in a kind of embarrassing way, and I'm reflecting on it, and I miss you. That's kind of the gist of this song. Totally. This part of the song, for me, is Julia Michaels' present internal state. She's in a place of reflecting and saying, man, I'm kind of bummed that our relationship is over. And she, at this moment, is building up a proto-melody. There's really not a whole lot going on here. Mm. It's just a... Really very simple. Totally. Almost one note. Right, right. The song continues. We're going to move into the pre-chorus, and we're going to see that this proto-melody, kind of like Berlioz's in reverse, is going to construct itself. Berlioz deconstructs the melody. Here we're going to construct a melody, which is going to tell you the nature of her lost love. Right on. I know we're not supposed to talk, but I'm getting ahead of myself. I get scared when we're not, because I'm scared you with somebody else. So I guess that it's gone, and I just keep lying to myself. Oh, I can't believe it. So we've moved from this internal, I'm bummed you're gone, to mm-hmm. sort of this more reflective state of her relationship and right. two really important things happen here actually a handful so the first thing that happens is we get some new harmonic material the chords are changing creating some momentum and underneath it these lush strings some of that symphony that for me is sort of just emphasizing this reflective state where you know, she's talking about i know we're not supposed to talk and i'm getting ahead of myself i guess that it's gone and i can't believe it She's kind of, yeah, in this, this sad reflective spot. Mm. Most importantly, her melody starts to open up and outline the direction that we're going. Oh, okay. So moving from a... Right, that's sort of the first melody we heard. Right, that was the verse melody, yeah. Now we've got... She's gone from a range of... to... Huh. And... She makes these big leaps in her voice, right? I at first didn't take this to be much, but as we move towards the chorus and into the pre-chorus slash pop drop, if you will, we're going to see that this melody, these notes that she's starting to use become very important. And if you're thinking, all right, where the hell is Charlie going with this? Are these melodies really connected? Listen for a second to what happens right at the beginning of the pre-chorus. Cool. You hear that thing? Oh, that little arabesque in a high synthesizer. Yes. Everything is building up and building up, creating this intensity, leading us into this melody. So we actually heard pieces of it in the intro. And then in this transitional moment from 
the verse into the pre-chorus, we hear this little funky melody. And so we think maybe that's where we're going. Well, she's going to build the tension even further by giving us a little bit of a false chorus. Hmm. A false chorus. Okay. I miss you. Yeah, I miss you. I miss you. This thing is so strange. This is what you're describing as a false chorus. I think this is a little bit of a false chorus. Well, we're, we're in this like new non-traditional EDM structure, which has become so part of pop music. But the beginning of this chorus is a little bit of an energetic drop, right? Mm. Before it builds back up. Totally, totally. What is she doing? What's happening in this moment? She's singing, I miss you. We've gone from a lyric about what's happened, the relationship has ended, to a more reflective and sort of nostalgic place. And she's saying, I miss you. And for a moment, she goes back actually to that earliest material, right? We had that very first melody. Right. And the I miss you melody is actually pretty similar. Sort of going back into that material that we heard in the verse. And so is she moving backwards? Is she assured in this I miss you-ness? I actually think no. I think that she is totally lost. And we can hear this, that the I miss you section is rhythmically kind of all over the place. It's very sparse. I miss you, yeah, I miss you. There's snares building you, underneath. Yeah, I miss you, and all of a sudden, in the middle of this chorus... I miss you, I do. We get this major four to the floor, downbeat kick drum, and this synth bass rhythm that we heard at the very beginning of the song. We heard the synth bass rhythm at the beginning of the song? Ah, you didn't know that you did, because <laughs> that same rhythm is the same rhythm that you heard in the piano. Oh, oh, oh I see. Right? Oh, okay, okay, okay. So the piano part from the song's intro has now been transmogrified in the <laughs> chorus into like a synth bass, super powerful and percussive kind of rhythm. Okay, interesting. That's right. So where I'm going with all of this is that she's building up to the moment immediately after the chorus, the sort of drop moment. And right before she lands in it, she says... I'm trying not to remember right now. Yeah, I love that line. Trying not to. Ah, not succeeding. Not succeeding. <laughs> because what happens in this post-chorus drop moment, she starts to hum that melody that oh. she sings at the very, very beginning. Oh, cool. I think this is the melody of their love. This is the equivalent of the E-Day fix. This is the E-Day fix. Huh. And we have built all the material up to this moment because that some of that material we heard in the pre-chorus is the sort of proto-outline of this material. We now get her humming melody, which is... has the exact same notes as the material that she was building up in the pre-chorus. 
So I think that as she moves from this mental state of being bummed about the relationship being over to kind of reflecting back on the relationship and trying not to be missing this person, she's actually invoking the romantic love that she had experienced in their connection. Huh. She's humming it. Yeah. It's like she's remembering. Yeah. And when we heard it in the introduction, it sounds somber. And now when we're in the chorus, it's kind of upbeat. And I guess for me, I was trying to figure out like, okay, why is this even an upbeat song? It's kind of a strange choice, right? If it's a breakup song. Right, right. So I think that this might actually be her broken up partner's point of view, who is out in Cabo dancing on the beach. And the partner actually gets to have their voice in the song through a distant and manipulated synthesizer. Right, right. Okay. Right, so she's singing the melody of her partner and as they're kind of like singing off in the distance, dancing on the beach in Cabo. And if you're still thinking like, wait a minute, are these melodies really connected? I have one more piece of evidence for you. I want to take you to the bridge. Take it to the bridge. So I saved all the takes, all of the best over the years, just to remind myself of how good it is. Are you talking about that last line, just to remind myself of how good it is? Or was <laughs> sort of pointing to the uncertainty of this relationship. Which then will take you right back into the chorus, her humming. Every time she invokes trying to not remember how much she misses this person, the person's melody just keeps coming back. But in the bridge, she's actually, again, alluding to the hook. She's singing, I saved all the text. I saved all the text, right? Right. So it's a derivation of the main melody. She says, I saved all the text. Which is very, very similar to the melody she's singing when she's humming. Because Yeah. So do you hear how in this moment where she's saying, I saved all the text, and she's sort of building up, building up, and she's playing this melodic line, which it's in a different rhythm. Those moments when she's singing about the sort of nostalgia of the relationship, she gets closer and closer to that main melody. I'm here, baby. You you rounded the corner. <laughs> I see Berlioz's idée fixe is being kind of used in the same way. Like it represents this phantom other who's not there, but whose DNA is all through this song. So I think Julia's done this thing in reverse, right? She's built up this melody from very scratch material, almost a nothing melody at the beginning. Hmm. And then as she adds more material... It transmutes and forms itself into the main hook. And that main hook is the hook of her lover. And I see a really wonderful connection, even how they write about their past love. In I Miss You, Julia Michael sings, And I know we're not supposed to talk, but I'm getting ahead of myself. I get scared when you're not, because I'm scared when you're with somebody else. I guess that it's gone, and I just keep lying to myself. I can't believe it. Berlioz says something similar in a letter. Can you tell me what it is, this capacity for emotion, this force of suffering that is wearing me out? Today, it is a year since I saw her for the last time. Unhappy woman, how I loved you. I shudder as I write it. How I love you. He writes later, I have found only one way of completely satisfying this immense appetite for emotion, and this is music. So you're saying that in sort of both these situations, music is the way you exercise these 
romantic, overwhelming feelings. Yeah, the, specifically feelings of loss over a love that's just not going to happen. Mm. What do you think? I'm persuaded. I mean, I, I see what you mean. It's, it's a different approach because the melody isn't transformed from place to place depending on the context as it is in Berlioz. But certainly the way that the melody comes back again and again in these different guises. Actually, okay, okay. Even as I'm saying it out loud, I do see, I think it's a strong argument. Yeah, okay, I'm sold. I love it. I think the key is mapping every single time her mental state moves closer to a nostalgia for the relationship. There are more shared melodic notes between that and the romantic melody, which is the hook. The ide fix. Yes, the ide fix. Please. <laughs> I don't think that that's going to pick up in pop music. <laughs> Perhaps not. I see this mapping of mental state to this transmuting of melody. And again, I think it's happening in the reverse. It's a happy nostalgia, whereas for Berlioz, it goes not so well. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so that's what I've got. I love it. Two pairs of songs that seemingly might have little in common. The deeper you look, the more connections we find. I love it. That was fun, Charles. I did uh, reach out to some folks on Twitter to see if they had any interesting ideas for completely ridiculously dissimilar but surprisingly similar songs. And one listener put out the idea of Mr. Brightside and Beethoven's Ninth. Whoa, okay. That, we we got to hit the books for that one. <laughs> I'm, I'm very intrigued. And so I have no idea the connection, but supposedly there's something there and i want to continue this conversation about songs that are seemingly totally different and have some awesome connections that unite them definitely if you have other fun ideas i'm 100 percent on board yeah share them with us online that's what we got today roll credits switch on pop was produced by me charlie harding and nate sloan <laughs> that dude our editor and mixer is Bill Lance. Our intern is Olivia Wood, designed by Luke Harris. You can find more episodes of Switched on Pop anywhere you get your podcasts. You can talk to us at contact at switchedonpop.com if you have ideas. Also on Twitter and Facebook at Switched on Pop. We'll be back again in two weeks with another episode. And until then, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. One final shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. You know what's a terrible question? What's your favorite part of having nasal allergies? I don't know. Absolutely nothing. Luckily, you might be able to find some relief with Astapro. Astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. And it starts working in just 30 minutes. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount. That's astaproallergy.com. Use this directive for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies.